Thank you, Keith. All right, morning, church. Great to be speaking with you today. I'm looking at you, Barney. If, uh, if the mic goes as I'm walking further and further from my mouth, just shout, okay? It's on the button. It's on the button. Well, we're on July 31st. End of July and then in the hazy days of August from tomorrow. And I thought it was a, uh, perhaps a, appropriate and fitting to... As we go into August and into the height of summer to talk about the um, spirit of restfulness and having a spirit of rest and, and what that looks like, why is it important, how even in rest we can be productive and, and fruitful. And I know for, for many of us, resting can be difficult and to actually embed that as part of our, if we look across a year, as part of our day-to-day life. I, I, I'm on the other extreme, especially in August, where I find it very difficult to get out of holiday mode in the month of August, mostly because now that I predominantly work from home, and my wife Lisa works at a school, so she's off, and all of my kids are off school, So there is a very much a holiday mode atmosphere. And because I don't have a kind of a schedule of getting in a car or a train going to an office, there are many mornings where it does dawn on me quite late on, I should be doing some work. (laughs) There probably is something I should be doing. And even even when I do try and apply myself, I find it so difficult difficult just to get into that kind of mindset and mentality and thankfully I'm not alone because a lot of people that I do work with and speak with especially if they come from the Middle East or from southern Europe you know August in some countries is a complete write-off a complete write-off so I'm certainly not alone but the, the discussion about rest and carving out rest, especially in a work setting, is, is more and more prevalent. Um, things like burnout and stress are discussed even more than they were even just a few years ago. You know, there's lots of studies that talk about the effectiveness of having a good rhythm, a good cadence in your work and professional life, not just um, for you as an individual, but for an organisation to ensure that their workforce um, are not suffering things like burnout, stress and strain and, and are taking the appropriate amount of, of holiday, but also downtime throughout the year. And we see it, you know, um, it's been referenced today when we talk about our church life. You know, when we get into August, you know, things like connect groups, we don't meet as regularly or, or in a way that we do for the rest of the year. We perhaps meet more socially or don't even meet for a few weeks in that month of August. You know, ministries like children's work, as you can evidently hear, and bless you children for being here. We love having you down here. But we don't do, we don't do children's work during the month of August and, and preaching as well, uh, as, we can, as we saw with the mission updates for, for the month of August. And that's a great opportunity to hear what is going on and for others to talk. But also a, another output is that people that regularly preach don't preach in August. So in, in a church setting, we hold rest and that different rhythm in the year to be important. And it's, if we look at the Bible, it's held to be important. Known to many of you, I'm sure, right at the start of the Bible, Genesis 1, God rests. 
No need, of course, for him to rest. But in his resting, in him, in him declaring that his creation, his work was done and it was good, and he rested, was a demonstration, was an example, was a mirror to creation of that rhythm, of that cadence, of the importance of rest. Jesus, at the start of his ministry, that we read in Mark chapter 4, of quite an intense period of time as he starts off his earthly ministry of serving people, of outworking of himself, giving of himself, of teaching and of healing. We read in Mark chapter 4 that when the evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side and leaving the crowd behind, they took him and just as he was, they went into the boat and in the boat, a furious storm uh, comes up and Jesus in that even after giving out of him so much, even of, out of his ministry of serving intensely and in the midst of a storm, Jesus, we read, was able to find rest, was able to find sleep and to rest in that boat. And Jesus is, again, showing a perfect demonstration that for it was important for him to rest at the early stages of his ministry, again as an example to his disciples of how best we can serve this broken world, how best we can serve other people, is ensuring that we are able to rest. That we hold it to be important in our ministry as Jesus did, not, not just for ourselves, but to serve others as best as possible. And we're also told it is important specifically for us. Isaiah, interestingly, talks about, uh, and God speaking through Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15, says, The Sovereign Lord, the Holy, Holy One of Israel, says this, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. It's a really interesting sort of... Com- combination when, when they're talking about salvation in repentance and rest is your salvation in quietness and trust is your strength there's something in this around that as we rest we are declaring and demonstrating tangibly our trust in God we are able to wholly rest our soul to be at rest because we trust in God It is a sign of obedience. I am at rest. My soul is at rest because I trust you. I'm obedient to you under your lordship. And so then in that trusting and obedience is then an articulation of our salvation. So we rest because we trust. And in our trust, our trust is a declaration and shown to be in our salvation. So rest should not be unproductive or unfruitful and held to be important in rest we can mirror to others a godly example in rest we not just serve ourselves but we can best serve others and our rest is a demonstration of obedience and trust I trust wholly so I am at peace my soul is at rest and I wanted to unpack today just how that specifically can look like in three particular areas and we've we've sung quite a bit today around being in the presence of God and Nathan's word about being in his slipstream and how 
we can tangibly take hold of that wonderful truth that at the feet of Jesus there is rest. In the presence of God, there is rest and freedom. And especially for people that I, I know firsthand can find this difficult to be at rest, to have that restful spirit. And so, first of all, I think in, in rest, what we see in Scripture is the ability in rest to reaffirm to reaffirm who God is, what he has done and continues to do, and who we are in him. Because we don't rest on a shaky foundation. We don't rest on a seven-step process or what the world has to offer. We don't rest on the, the inner strength or ability for us to generate a positive or peaceful mindset. But we rest on that foundation, on those biblical truths of who God is, what he has done and continues to do, and who we are in him. And the psalmist in Psalm 116 gives a wonderful, powerful example and demonstration of what that looks like. We read in Psalm 116, the psalmist starts by saying, I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. So straight away, the psalmist is is writing the psalm from a place of current struggle, of current strife and difficulty, a place of unrestfulness, perhaps a place causing him unease and, and a lack of peace. Straight away, he's affirming why he loves the Lord. Because when I look back, the love of my Lord comes because mainly and, and, and partly. He heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. I will call on him. I call on him today because in the past, I recollect that he heard my call. He turned his ear to me. The psalmist goes on and says, The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. As the psalmist recollects back on those previous difficult, challenging times, very, maybe some of the darkest moments of his life as he makes no bones about it. Death entangled me, anguish of the grave. He was overcome by distress and sorrow. That recollection doesn't leave him in a negative space. It doesn't leave him in in more worry or, or anxiety or stress. But what he recollects above all, in those times, is who God is. That God was gracious, that God was righteous, that God was full of compassion, that even though he was unwary, some translations say simple, unaware of the danger that he was in, even then, when he was brought that low, his recollection, his affirmation is that he was saved out of the goodness of God. So then, at this present time that the psalmist is writing of the current struggle that they're facing, he can say, hand on heart, boldly and confidently, return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. Right there, 
in the midst of his struggle, strain and strife, he's able to say confidently, boldly, return to your rest, my soul. Because you know firsthand, when we look back and I look back, that the Lord has been good to me. The Lord was gracious. The Lord was compassionate. So in the time of rest or seeking of rest, that affirmation of who God is, what he's done, what he continues to desire to do, and who we are in him, should give us that confidence. We're not speaking in pithy phrases or cliches, but a confidence in that biblical truth that our soul can be at rest because the Lord has been and continues to be good to us. Secondly, in resting, it should and hopefully allow us to have a sense and to bring some realignment, to bring some realignment of our focus, of our experience, of our priorities, of our thinking. There's an interesting passage in in Exodus, Exodus chapter 33, where just before the Israelites had, out of their impatience and disobedience, uh, made the golden calf, made the idol, And God was getting very frustrated. You can hear it, especially in Exodus 33, where he declares over the Israelites, what am I to do with you? You stiff-necked people, you disobedient people, what am I to do with you? And we read that Moses had made a tent of meeting that was placed just outside of the main camp. And that was the place where Moses went to speak to God. And there's a really interesting verse that really illustrates how intimate and the depth of relationship that Moses had with God where there's uh, in in Exodus 33 we read that Moses and God spoke like two friends basically like a friend speaks to a friend and it was in that meeting place in that meeting tent that Moses at this difficult time where the Israelites are showing disobedience and, 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 and God is showing frustration towards them and Moses is is a bit in a desperate space. He, he's saying, and we read from Exodus 33, verse 12 to 14, Moses says to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know who you will send with me. And, and you've said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. So if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favour with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Moses is going into that tent of meeting, speaking to God, really wanting some clear answers here, some real pearls of wisdom, some real practical advice. You've said, lead these people. Who else are you sending to help me with this? Who is going to be with me to do this? And and you've, you, you've said that we found favour in your eyes, but but... Teach me practically. I want to see. Teach me your ways. How do I do this in the best way? And to continue to do it to find favor in your eyes. So Moses is coming to God with those questions of how and who and real need of wisdom and clear and uh, clarity of message and of practical advice and guidance. And God's response is this. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you 
and I will give you rest. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Moses wanted some maybe firm guidance, some clear pearls of wisdom. And what God offered, in essence, was realignment. Maybe a question of you asking the wrong questions. You're asking these questions, but the most important thing is this. My presence will be with you and continue to be with you. And I will give you rest. And in our own lives, we may be looking for a direct answer or word of knowledge or an immediate sign, a breakthrough or a clear and obvious answer to prayer. Where, where should I be going? What should I be looking out for? What God are you saying to me? And in fact, it could very much be that response. You're asking the wrong question. My presence will be with you. And it will give you rest. And as I say that, if, if that causes a bit of frustration... Um, a bit of annoyance that in such a response you're left feeling short-changed, abandoned. That, no, that's not what I want. That's not what I'm after. I understand that, God. I understand the truth of it. But no, I need, I, I, need, I, I need something a bit different right now. And I pray for all of us of that realignment that I would say the trials, the challenges of life, the business of life can knock us off kilter of what is needed, of what is important, of what is required. When it is abundantly clear in God's response of an alignment of his presence. And there you will find your rest. There you will find peace. A few years later, Moses' successor, Joshua, outside of the walls of Jericho, had a response to that same answer. When Joshua was outside the walls of Jericho, thinking about the battle plan and the days ahead, we read in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 and 14, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have? And the message was this, you are now in holy ground. You, In essence, you are now in the presence of God, so take off your sandals. Joshua's response, being in the presence of God, was to fall down in reverence and ask what is required. Joshua was basically told by the commander of the Lord's army, you're asking the wrong question. It doesn't matter the answers to the question you're asking. What matters is that I am now here. I have now come. I think it would be a few moments where we get to pray into that affirmation and alignment of being in the presence of God. That looking for a particular breakthrough or answer or word of knowledge, a a biblical, of course, scripturally good things to be 
praying into, going after, seeing those fruits. But right now, in some situations, what is needed is the command of the Lord army before you saying you're asking the wrong question. What is important, what is paramount, is that I am here. I have now come. And is our response frustration, annoyance? Or is it as Joshua did, to fall face down in reverence before the presence of God and ask, what message does my Lord have for me? What is required? Lastly, rest, of course, brings a level of restoration. And restoration is fruitful and productive. We read a very familiar verses and passage to many around in Matthew 11, where we read, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This passage, you know, has given comfort and peace to millions. Because as I previously said, it's not a cliche. It is a biblical, wonderful truth that is foundational in understanding who our God is, who our Lord and Saviour is. The God of comfort, the Father of all compassion. And it's not... disparate or non-permanent this rest it is tangible and lasting but what is interesting in this passage that doesn't always get drawn out or, or, or discussed is that this isn't just a passive um a passive act just us coming to the feet of jesus and getting that restoration and getting that rest but there is an active participation that jesus talks about here in verse 29, because he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. In this resting, we learn from him. Again, that, that, that yoke at the time, you know, the um, long bit of wood that would have been placed over the shoulders and neck of, of maybe two oxen to help in the field. And the metaphor that is, this is alluding to and was used at the time and still today is to have a yoke upon you is a, uh, talks about subjugation, servitude, an act of service, coming under authority. It's used again by Paul about not being unequally in our relationships our, or, our, or our perception of religion or what the world can offer, but that we are yoked with Christ. And what, when, we, when we start to, to look at this verse, it's talking about rest and restoration but it's also alluding to discipleship that Jesus is saying be yoked with me learn from me walk with me step by step just as in the in the field uh, an elder or a veteran ox would be yoked with a younger ox for the younger ox to be uh, broken in to learn the correct ways and paths Jesus is saying, be yoked with me, learn from me. And this isn't chains of subjugation. 
but wonderfully coming under perfect authority and saying, it is not my will, but yours, Lord. I come under your authority, under you to serve you and this broken world and a wonderful opportunity to walk step by step with perfection in ever closer and increasing circles. So when we think about resting, when it's difficult to do it, we hold its importance as mirrored by God, by Christ, linked as a, as a declaration really and an output of our salvation. And that in our resting, we are reaffirming who God is, what he's done, and who we are in him. We are realigning the importance, the utter importance of the presence of God. Even if we're asking the wrong questions, we are relying our focus, our priority to the importance of being in the presence of God. And in restoration, in resting at the feet of Jesus, it's not just a passive act, but an active engagement in discipleship, in learning more, in walking step by step with him. So I'll, just, I'll ask the band to come up, just to uh, lead us in a, in a song, I think. And I'll just pray for us. Because uh, touched upon a few different things and maybe in very different places. But Lord, I just pray now in the time that we've got remaining. That as we've already done so in singing up, holding affirming who you are as a good God. And at the feet of Jesus in the presence of our God, peace and rest can be found. That we actively acknowledge and uphold this truth in our day-to-day life. So we uphold the importance of a restful spirit for ourselves, for others, for our church, for our world. Lord, may we, just as the psalmist did, be able to look back on difficult times and not be stressed or anxious, but reminded that we serve and have a good God. That when we have competing and conflicting thoughts and priorities, that we are purely and wonderfully realigned and in step with the power and the comfort and the peace that comes by being in your presence. And that as we rest, we are actively engaged with being molded in walking with perfection, in logstep and yoked with you. Amen.